Let's begin by all joining together and praying. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you are our rock. You are our redeemer. Amen. If you were here last week or you watched the whole service online, you got to hear a uh, pretty simple but also pretty poor uh, little illustration from Pastor Steve speaking some Chinese that I knew. Uh, I definitely realized last week that a decade away from it hasn't done me any favors for that language. But if I'm being honest too, even if I could go back to when my language was at its absolute best, the peak of my abilities, I think my Chinese language skills would probably resemble about a kindergarten level or less of being able to communicate with people. At best, that's as good as I got. And that's why when we lived over there, there was this daily interaction that I had with someone in Chinese that left a permanent impression on me. One of the best foods that I loved was this Chinese uh, pancake crepe-like kind of thing. Uh, you would have this giant skillet and then you would pour batter on it and they spread the batter around it nicely. Then you'd toss eggs on there, some veggies if you want veggies. This deep fried dough kind of thing gets tossed on there. Then there's the sauce that gets lathered across the whole thing that there's nothing that compares in America to that sauce. Spices that you want on there too. Then you would take it, fold it up, flip it over, uh, kind of pack it down, put it in a little plastic bag, and man, was that thing good. Ugh. In fact, it was so good that it was the kind of breakfast that I could eat every day. And so I did eat that kind of breakfast almost every day for an entire year. But because that little crepe thing was so good, and I wanted that for a daily breakfast, it meant daily interactions with the woman who made it. You see, there was this same woman every day outside of our apartment building. She would set up her stand that had the little skillet with all of the little ingredients that had to be tossed in. And every day I would go and this woman would have a conversation with me in Chinese. Every day she would toss these softball questions up to me that she knew that I was going to be able to answer and actually have a conversation. Hey, who are you? What's your name? What's your family? How's the weather today? What do you like to do? What's your job? Are you excited about your job? And every single day, these same softball questions came. And every single day, she was gracious. She was kind. She stooped down to my kindergarten level just so that we could have a conversation. It's not the food. I mean, the food was good. But it's not the food that I remember most from that. No, it was this gracious and kind interaction that this woman who had no reason to do it she would do that every day with me. I don't think that's our expectation for how face-to-face, -face, real people conversations go anymore, is it? I mean, what's it like now for us? People have strong opinions. In fact, very strong opinions so that there's this dividing line about almost any topic. Here's the line. Here's where I am and I'm never going to cross over to the other side of this thing. 
you can feel it, right? There's this mindset of, I'm over here, and if you're over there, you're the enemy kind of attitude going on. Interactions that do happen kind of feel like there's this agenda going on that they're just trying to convince you that their side is right and they're going to tell you why they're right and they're going to be able to bring you over to their side so that real interactions that we have with real people, they're just draining, boring, and they just leave you feeling empty a lot of the time. It kind of feels like real interactions that we have today don't actually mean communication is going to happen don't really feel like sharing is something that's part of it. Well, the Apostle Paul, where we pick up his story today, he found himself in this former capital city of Athens as he was on a worldwide tour that was just focusing on interacting with people. It's kind of crazy, though. Before Athens... He had been chased out of a city by an angry mob for simply trying to interact. And now it was Paul alone in the big city of Athens after that mob experience. And Athens was so big, there were so many people that he really could have gotten lost in the crowd if he wanted to. He needed food, he needed shelter, but outside of that, he didn't have to have any interactions with people. He could have taken the time, he could have started to lay low and blend in and get lost. But that's not what Paul did. Here's what Paul says. While he was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So, this is what he did. He reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. As well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. He didn't hide. He went out and put himself out there and tried to connect with a wide range of people. Some of the people he knew pretty well. Old Testament believers, people that knew the Old Testament, people that worshipped that God, his God still. Yep. People that... uh, appreciated the one God system of religion that came to the synagogue for that worship space. Not like the others in their culture, but they they wanted the one God kind of system. But also people just in the marketplace, the place where interactions would happen, where people went to have interactions and interact with different ideas. Paul went out and he tried to have any interaction with anybody that would possibly listen. And as he did this, How'd the people respond? Here's one thing he heard. What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating for foreign gods. Let's start with the first one. Babbler doesn't really capture the insult that's there in the Greek language. The word babbler here is absolutely condescending, looking down on someone. And the the idea is that you're a person that's like a little bird that goes and picks up seeds and seeds just here and there, just scattered things, and you're never going to really get the whole thing. You're like a dumb bird, just with the little bits. I mean, they interacted with him, and then they labeled him as crazy. It's kind of hard to believe because this was Athens, a city known 
and kind of built upon the idea where there are going to be interactions of lots of different people. Athens was the place where you wanted to go if you had an idea to exchange and you wanted to listen to other people's ways of life. This was the center of the world at one point. This was the center of intelligence. If you wanted to grow and get smart, you would go there. Luke describes Athens, even at Paul's time, like this. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Pretty far from our culture and our lives, Athens was built on this idea that people could come there to interact with somebody else. That's why it's so surprising that even in Athens, where Paul tried to have these interactions, people just didn't get what Paul was trying to share. The communication broke down. They labeled Paul as a crazy person. They called him names, and it doesn't really sound like much communication is happening. They say, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean doesn't really sound like a great people experience for Paul. People are messy, right? Communicating with people is messy. I think that's why uh, people have developed not too long ago this new thing called chat GPT. This is the symbol for it. I don't know all of the meaning behind the symbol. After this, we can look that up and figure that out. But do you know what chat GPT is? It's this online program now that does all kind of interactions that you want it to do. If you're feeling a little bit lonely and you just want somebody to talk to, type stuff in chat GPT and words will come back to you. It does more than that though. If you want an essay for your school project, tell chat GPT, it'll write it, half a second, poof, it pops up, it's over there. If you want to know something about history, it's got the knowledge you can ask it. Uh, this thing has been built so that it's able to interact with you from essays to music to poetry. Chat GPT, this program, can do just about anything now. Do you know how it's built? The way it works is it has this massive database of interactions that it's learned from so that basically, to simplify, it's kind of like playing a big game of finish my sentence, and then chat GPT knows what it should say, what you want to hear. So that if you interact with this online program, I promise you, you're going to have a really good interaction. Because it's designed to give you exactly what you're looking for. It's designed to tell you this is what you want. It's easy, it's accessible. The whole idea is built so that you have really good interactions. Not like our interactions with real people. Because let's just admit it, people, us, we're not great at communication. Interaction is difficult for everybody. But for us who are in this room, let's bring it into a Christian context too and admit we struggle at interacting with people. How many of our interactions are driven by a desire just to prove yourself right? 
could people describe us as gracious? Or have they seen a self-centered focus just cares about getting a point out? How do you think about interacting and engaging with the people in our community? Is the first thing you think, what a blessing, what a joy, what an opportunity that is, or is it something else? We've got to admit that there are many times that we are the reason for a breakdown in communication happening, and that can be enough to discourage us from ever even trying to do it at all. But there's a reason why we're here. There's a reason why we exist as a church. There's a reason why we still absolutely have to do this. There is something worth chatting about. As messy people with real people, you and I have to engage. We have to connect with people around us. And Paul's going to help us understand why. He could have let just the name-calling and the condescension and all the insults that he heard stop him, and he could have just walked away. But instead... Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The people of Athens lived in this city that is known for an exchange of ideas where knowledge just was, where interaction was supposed to be easy. But what didn't the people have? No certainty. No knowing for sure. No foundation. I mean, they knew a lot. They knew a lot of different ways of thinking. They were actively trying to hit every kind of religious thing that was out there, even the religion that they didn't know yet. But no foundation. No certainty. That's why Paul was there to interact and engage. He told them, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by human hands. There is a God who is above all the human thinking and human interactions. There is a certain and solid reality and basis. And it doesn't come from temples or statues or buildings or ideas that people can come up with. Paul paints this picture of the God who is over all of it the true God who had planned out all of it and every detail up to that exact moment. He says God did all of this so that people would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. God wanted the people of Athens to interact with him so that they might have certainty. There's a woman whose name was Aviva, and Aviva was absolutely skeptical. Aviva is a producer for the podcast called This American Life, if you've listened to that one, and she doubted that true love at first sight was a real thing. No, that couldn't be possible. When the show put out the call for people to uh, tell stories of, yes, 
this was true love for me. Yes, it happened at first sight. She was the producer that had to listen to all of the stories. And uh, yeah, even at the end of all of them, you could say she was left a little bit doubtful. Because you see, Aviva is single. She's been trying to find the one for a long time. And love at first sight for her has not come close to happening. No matter how many people she's met, it still just doesn't seem real. But there was one interview that stood out for her, and that's the interview that they picked for the show that week. Uh, Megan's interview made Aviva question what was going on. Megan was one of the people. She had met a stranger in a bar one day, and she knew first sight this was the person that I'm going to marry. It was absolutely true love. She describes how she knew before anything else had happened and just this sense of peace and no doubts that she felt. True love at first sight. Megan had lived it and she was willing to tell everybody it's real. It was that interview that left Aviva questioning and doubting, and wanting something that Megan had that she had never felt, certainty. Megan knew for sure that true love existed. And here's a crazy part of the story. Even though that guy ended up being her ex-husband, even after that had happened, Aviva asked, is it still real? And Megan said without a doubt, yes, absolutely, I know for sure that was true love. Aviva couldn't believe. In the end, she wasn't envious of just the love aspect of what was going on. She just wanted that kind of certainty in her life. This was her last words for her part of the story. How lovely to get a break from, is this right? I'd like to feel that if just once. Though we're not talking about love and relationships between people, but God to people. That's why we have to interact. We've got something that gives real certainty. We know it for ourselves. The good news of Jesus and Jesus' forgiveness for us isn't a maybe, isn't a hope. It's a real and a solid thing now. It's the basis for your identity, for your life. You are forgiven. You are loved. The good news of Jesus breaks through all the imperfect interactions in an imperfect world. God uses the good news of Jesus to give you certainty. He wants that for you because God planned everything so that including you, people would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. While you and I speak with stumbling words and we forget names and details of people in our lives that we should remember well we don't listen as half as well as we should and we just try to talk a whole lot more well our side of communication isn't perfect god's good news of jesus is god is there in these interactions his certainty is what we want other people to have and there's no pressure then for us to get it right and to do it all right because only God can do that and he promises he will. Every excuse that we have to avoid the interaction is wiped away when you remember 
that God will be with you, that he's the one that breaks through all the mess. So let's keep working on seeing conversations and interactions as a joy in our life and not something scary or intense. Let's make it a priority to do what we're doing and to keep forming life groups and making it a priority to being a part of a life group, even if just once in a while. Because these are great places to bring other people, where people can have interactions with real Christians who have real messy lives for people that they might get to see who Christians are. Let's keep working on seeing Sunday worship as the blessing that this time together is. I mean, this is where God interacts with us and connects us to Jesus' forgiveness. This is the place where we get to encourage one another as a larger group and see most of us. This is where we want guests to come because this is where we know that they're going to find out that God loves them for sure, without a doubt, absolutely certain. This is why we're doing our social media push. If you didn't get the answer to the question last week, hopefully there's an opportunity this week to be involved with it too. I love my church because, fill in the blank, if you haven't answered it yet, answer it. We want people to know how awesome this is. And then let's keep working on connecting with people who are here in our home community and talking with them and getting to know them, and letting the gospel do the work of breaking through. Keep it simple. Connect with people, interact with them, and let the gospel work, and you know that it will. Now, as many times as she asked me my name and I got to share who I was, I don't remember hers, and now I wish I had, because that woman She's kind of an example for me. She took the time and the effort and she showed the grace to interact with someone at a kindergarten level at best. And she never ignored me. She was willing to listen and not point out all the mistakes that I had. And I think that's a great target for us to aim for. Engage, interact, and know that when we do this, it's going to leave an impression with people. Amen.